dive right into it, shall we? Uh, welcome to another episode of the Criterion Quest, a continuing podcast series looking at important films and contemporary classics. My name is Chris, and I'm joined, as always, by my wonderful co-host, Lee. Woo! And we just got done watching Jean-Luc Godard and Jean-Pierre Gorin's 1972 film, Tout Via Bien. Godard or Goddamn? <laughs> that is what is needed for this one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, oh my good lord. Uh, I'm, I think I'm on the record for saying that I am very hit and miss with Goddard. Like, you know, it, it's hard not to enjoy Band of Outsiders and Breathless. And I even really like Weekend, like some of his bigger films. But this, like a lot of the other stuff that... This is a dude that has 129 credits on IMDb. He's still alive and still making films. Wow. Um, but I don't like most of them. <laughs> and, I, and him as a person I find very... I don't want to sit and have a beer with this dude. <laughs> we were watching an interview with him post-film. Oh, the one where he looks like the Unabomber. <laughs> he, he looks cracked out of his face, and I said to you, uh, I wouldn't want to be in a room with him. Yeah, he's wearing a bathrobe and looks like he smells really bad. And yeah. no, This is just, we're being mean for the sake of being mean against him now. I but... have to preface this whole thing with, I'm going to totally philistine this. Yeah, well, that like I was saying all that stuff about my takes on Godard, mainly because this is your first Godard <laughs> film. In our last recording, you said to me, I'm really excited to see your reaction to Goddard. And it is my first Goddard film. And, yep, that was a, that was a good comment. It's, it's, it's a unique beast, a Goddard film. And that's not to say, like, I mean, again, as we always say, like, if you like this film, God bless, like, to each their own. Um, but it, his films are a lot of work. Yes, they are a lot of work, and I have to say, I have I don't have a lot of knowledge in the area of France around this time or the politic politics at this time. Yeah, we we should totally say right up front, this film has a lot to do with the revolution that happened in May 1968. We as Australians have no real context or ideas about that. I mean, realistically, we probably should have researched a whole bunch into that but again that's not what we do with this no. show it is we're just going to sit down watch the films and, and talk about how we reacted to them yeah. so if you're looking like I, I think it's just on my mind because of our episode with the Criterion Creeps a few weeks ago about the Magic Flute review yes. like if that's if you're coming to this for like a historical in-depth analysis on French history wrong you're barking up the wrong train <laughs> <laughs> but uh, on that note, I am ready to discuss this film as it uh, as it hit us. Now, normally you'd start by uh, doing a plot synopsis. Mm-hmm. Do we have one for this? I do. We do have the, the Criterion synopsis, if you would like to hear. I would really much appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in 1972, newly radicalised Hollywood star Jane Fonda joined forces with cinematic innovator Jean-Luc Godard and collaborator Jean-Pierre Gorin in an unholy artistic alliance that resulted in Tout va bien, or Everything's Alright. Mm. I like that, though. An unholy artistic alliance. <laughs> uh, this free-ranging assault on consumer capitalism and the establishment left tells the story of a wildcat strike at a sausage factory as witnessed by an American reporter, Fonda, and her has-been New Wave film director husband, played by Yves Montand. Yeah. Uh, the, Criterion Qu- uh, the, Criter- the Criterion Collection is proud to present this masterpiece of radical cinema, a caustic critique 
of society, marriage, revolution in post-1968 France. Mm. So I'm going to jump in straight off the bat and ask, they talk about May, and you said that May is well, that's when of some kind. That was when there was a giant uprising. Uh, my, like, super not really having much yes. knowledge. There was a, uh, a revolution in France in 19- May of 1968. It was a sort of anti... It was a, it was a class warfare revolution, essentially. Yes. And um, jumping in about midway on that topic, uh, there are some women in the factory who are describing um, their working conditions. And out of the whole film, that's the only thing I sort of clung to, understood. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did have some other characters uh, present, uh, talk to the camera and go, oh, the percentage of our wage versus the uh, point percentage of this and that, and who? Yeah. Okay, so what what made the the sequence where... Is it the part where the woman comes over and she's just like, oh, and you know, I, I forget... I'm sorry, I forget yes. the character's name, but it's like, essentially, Doris was telling her <laughs> in a very soft-spoken voice and blah, 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 but then I got bored and yada, yada, yada. Is that the sequence you mean? Yes, that's the one. What, what was it that stood out for you for that? It was, so in all of the other scenes where the lower class or the workers are talking about their conditions or why they're on their um, tirade, uh, it was too technical, mm-hmm. I'd like to say. And um, that scene with the women, um, they spoke about how they were working, but um, a male, uh, what's the manager called? Not the manager. Oh, the, the foreman. The foreman would come over and uh, grope the women or um, uh, you'd get say, the wolf whistles happening wolf whistles, and, yeah. say inappropriate comments. They're hoping to get lucky. Um, I'm like, okay, okay. I get it. I see what we're what why why you would have this um, coup or whatever you want to call it. But uh, previous scenes where people are sort of there's one scene where a man is holding a piece of paper and is uh, <laughs> oh he's, I don't really know. No, no. Let, let's be honest. He's not holding a piece of paper. He's holding the script, mm. <laughs> and he is just reeling off like you had a great um kind of simile to what it was and what it reminded you of like coincidentally what you'd watched last night yes i um watched the big short last Mm -hmm. night and then um there's scenes in that where obviously it's talking about mortgages and numbers and home loans and all this and that and it's the most boring shit so they realize that so what do they do to explain it to the audience uh they have margot robbie in a bubble bath his or Anthony Bourdain, or his Selena Gomez. Yeah. Like, yeah, and the other one that you brought up as well when we were watching was The Wolf of Wall Street, a similar movie where it's talking about trading in penny stocks and manipulating the stock market and all of these things, like stuff that's kind of in the news again lately. Um, yes. And, but it's presented in a, the way that Scorsese and DiCaprio present all of that stuff, where it's like, yes, this is important and this is the crux of what the kind of crisis is for both our characters and the world that our characters exist in, but we're presenting it in a way that we're letting you as the audience know at the end of the day, the nitty gritty, the details that we're discussing is not what's important. What's important is how this relates to our characters and how they react to this. Yes. What Goddard and Garan are doing is the total opposite of that, where they are like, what matters is the facts and and the nitty gritty because that shows you the audience how our workers are getting fucked over not 
by presenting like and and I think that is like boils down through the whole Godardness of it all, where it's like, well, I aim to deconstruct film and the methods used in film and how you present film. So instead of presenting like a story of um, you know disenfranchised workers and how they're exploited. I'm going to do it in an almost pseudo-documentary... I'm going to use documentary style, where it's essentially that scene is a guy reading the script as if it is he's spouting fact in a talking head of a documentary, but it's about a fictional scenario. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's insane. <laughs> and, and, like, not necessarily in a bad way. Insane as in, like, this is so different, is what I, I meant by I'm, that. I'm going to say it is in a bad way. I, like I said, I'm coming into this full Philistine... Yes, he's trying to deconstruct film and all that, but it does not make for enjoyable watching. Well, it's interesting as well because the first, like, say, 20 minutes of this film, you are having a blast mm. as your opening, like, thing of a Goddard film where it, the film opens really, like, we, we kind of jumped the gun a little bit by getting yes, into the did. Sausage Factory of it all. Because <laughs> the film opens with Goran and Goddard discussing, well, we want to make a movie. What should it be about? Yes. Well, and then, like, later on in the film, fucking Yves Montard's character says he, he's been trying for three years to make a film about the politicised nature of France at the moment, so it's like, well, let's do that, but to do that, we need it to be about something, so let's tack in a couple so we can pretend that this is about the deconstruction of a relationship. Well, we need... if. We need money to get that. We should get Hollywood stars. Let's get Jane Fonda and yes. Yves Montand. I loved the opening of this yeah. uh, film, and I was super excited. I love how our two main characters turn, like, they call him uh, him and her, or, he, yeah, he or she. They don't even give the, the name. You find out their names much later on, but yeah. they turn to the camera as if to acknowledge, I'm the him, I'm the her. Yeah. I love all that. It, it's establishing it to be like, we're going to dissect the... The politicized nature and, and the revolution that Fra the class uprising that Francis went through through the prism of a married couple having the descendant essentially marriage story. <laughs> but the film ends. That's how they posit the film initially, and then the film ends up not being that. And I can't be annoyed at that because at the beginning of the film they kind of clearly state that where they're like, "Well, we need to dupe them into giving us money somehow. Let's pretend it's about this." Yes. Really like that. Yeah, and then it goes like you have a montage of them literally writing the checks, mm. like which is the biggest. Again, I, my go-to with Goddard is for a guy that makes movies, he seems to fucking hate movies. Yeah, and it, it's like this montage of him uh, of them like writing the checks and showing, which is like very. It's very powerful for what ends up being about like happening in the film about the dis discussion of you know, wage gaps and the issues of money and things and class struggle. And so it's like, let's open our film with just a pile of checks being written on something that is frivolous and shouldn't be, like, you know, a film. Yeah. It's so... Okay. Uh, yes, I... I You're making us want to hate your movie from the get-go. It's bonkers. It is bonkers. And, and for me, it's one of those films where the director... I've got to ask, is it two directors or one? It's two directors, um, it is, but it, it's Godard with a collaborator, Jean-Pierre Gorin, and he, it is, but it, this is very much a Godard vision, I, I view it as, and Gorin, he, he worked with only for a few years on like a one or two little projects, it wasn't a like lasting partnership. I'm almost sad that this is my first Godard or Gorin film, because 
it sounds like what you're saying, there's been previous ones in the collection? Uh, Goddard, for sure. I've never heard of Jean-Pierre Goddard before. Okay. <laughs> so I'm kind of sad that this is my first Goddard because there's something really tired about what he's trying to say. He, he's, especially the scene with the male character, and I'm sorry, I've forgotten his name, where he's talking to the camera and then he's filming his commercial. What's his name? Oh, I just knew him as, oh, the actor? The act, yeah. Well, the character. Or him. Him, okay. <laughs> with um, him, yeah. yes. Yves Montand, who um, I'm a big fan of. He's one of my favorite European actors, going back to like Wages of Fear and Le Sauce Rouge. Uh, just a great actor. But, yeah. but obviously, we are having a, a narrative, a commentary on film, Goddard's commentary on film through his characters. And there's just something really bored and fed up and tired about his message. Yeah. And especially the scene with him later on where he's uh, going through, you know, I used to do this and I used to do that and I used to have passion and excitement, but now I'm just sort of fed up and I don't know, Goddard's message, I don't, I don't know if you got this as well, but for me it's just this, this old boy, well, he's probably not that old, but he's, like, he's a bit tired and fed up with the way things are mm. and he makes a comment of I don't want to do... Um, an American. Yeah, he got offered a chance to direct like a detective novel, or like a detective movie based off of this very popular novel, and yeah. he was just like, "Fuck that! I don't want to sell it's, out." It's, but now I find myself working com- commercials, so I'm yeah. kind of stuck doing that anyway. It's 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 a fed up thing, but it it, it just seems like he's it's tired. I'm tired of everything and pessimistic. Yeah, I, I don't know. He he very much uses his films for like again. I have not seen. All 129 films that Goddard has made. He has. Uh, yeah, but it's from what I have seen, he, he likes to... Obviously part of the French New Wave. Like, he he was one of the first people to jump on the French New Wave um, and build up that movement where it's basically brief summer rising for you. Yes, yes I'm um, going to ask. I'm going to jump in. I'm going to ask. Explain what French New Wave is. Okay, so it was basically a movement established by Francois Truffaut, and then you had a couple of other people like um, Goddard jumping on, and Agnes Varda and things jumping on. In uh, it emerged in the late fifties, and it was basically um, Truffaut was a film critic before he became a filmmaker, and then he was just like he got kind of fed up with what was happening in film, so he's like, let's see what we can do. There's so much more you could do with his art form. So it's basically. A tenet of trying to—it's making films where you try to go against the great, the the usual tropes of filmmaking. So it's basically which stuff, like you know, people looking directly into camera, fuck continuity, uh, non-linear storytelling, like you know, breaking down the fourth wall, and it's like what what you traditionally think of as a film. Throw all of that away and just make what you want to make, and then a lot of those tropes ended up becoming just. It's, it's what we see in modern day cinema now. Like It helped reinvent what you could do with that art form. Um, Goddard is the one filmmaker, again, a massive asterisk on this statement because I've only seen maybe six to ten of his films. He, to me, seems to be one of the only film uh, new wave filmmakers that continued that, where he's like consistently trying to break down and dismantle how you can present a film and what you can do with it. For the most part, like, Truffaut ended up, like, he has elements of that within his films, but it is still a film. Mm. Like, you know, a narrative story, and it, you know, gets swept up in whimsy and things. Same with Agnes Varda. Like, you know, we eventually get to things like Vagabond and stuff, where it's, like, this great film. And there's very little deconstructionist to it. So, <clears throat> if I had to 
pick out uh, the new wave then in this? Because this is, would you say this is post Oh, very much post new wave, yeah. Um, so, so 1972. New wave was probably like uh, 1954-ish to about, uh, I'd say, 1968. Kind of in that yeah. realm, I guess. So, that, that kind of 10, 10 to 12 year period, I but guess. But obviously he's been influenced, he's been part of the movement, and then he's sort of carrying that on, even though... The movement's probably finished. He's still kind of continuing on. Yeah. Things that I noticed were um, the scene would cut and the new scene would start, but the audio lagged on for about two seconds. Yeah. Uh, the audio would have, uh, there'd be rain. You'd hear some rain in the background. And then it's in the same scene and it just cuts out. There'd be a musical kind of oh, whatever. Um, and then that would just cut out within the same scene. So I mean, going, a classic one is like the whole um, the the women at the factory talking and stuff. It's it's we have a third party narrating. This woman standing next to me is telling Jane Fonda her story, but I'm going to narrate my experience about her telling the story, and then we're randomly just going to be like, and now I'm going to sing a song, and the narrator will be like, leftist song, <laughs> <laughs> like. Yeah. And yeah, it's like weird, and just the whole fucking construction of that set. So, we haven't talked about that set, the Sausage Factory. Yeah. That was amazing. That was my favorite part of the film. I loved, and I and I remember watching it with you, I brought up, uh, I reckon Wes Anderson's a bit of a Goddard fan. Um, you brought up Life Aquatic. I was thinking of um, Fantastic Mr. Fox, that yeah. whole... The cross-section, essentially. Is that what it's called? Cross-section? Yeah. I don't know. I think it looks like a dollhouse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's it, essentially. It's, yeah. Yeah, so basically, um, obviously, I had some stuff on that. Let me just find it. <laughs> Pull up my notes. Um, yeah, so the factory set, it's a cross-section of the building, which allows the camera to dolly back and forth from room to room. Um, and uh, so basically, this is another self-reflexive technique. Um, this particularly... Uh, blah, 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 blah. It... F- Skimming ahead. Uh, this forces the audience to remember that they are actually witnessing a film and we're essentially breaking the fourth wall. It does not even exist at this point um, in a literal sense. Um, and that kind of also leads into a lot of the Brechtian kind of distancing the audience from the actual people involved in the film, which is why as well in that scene with the women, it's like we're not actually hearing her talk about it. We're hearing about her friend tell about her talking about it. It's like... Let's try and objectively try and remove us as far as we can and... Yeah. Yeah. Make you kind of hyper-aware that we're watching a film. And then, I guess, other new wavy stuff. Sorry to just ramble and keep going on that. But, uh, like, the the fourth wall-breaking documentary style of them just looking directly down the lens and talking for, like, five minutes about their scenarios. See, I think being a modern-day film watcher, mm-hmm. I'm so comfortable with that now. Yeah. Like, it's not a shocking thing for me or no. like an off-putting thing for me. What was off-putting was the length yes. of those scenes and the boring details. So, like I said before, the guy uh, with his piece of paper going uh, blow by blow, why um, there's this uprising. Why and they're striking, why they're going against management at the sausage factory. Yeah. And I think maybe in the 70s, the just the turn to the camera would be like, whoa. No, not even by this point, because this is like an old, this is established at this point as part of a thing that you can do in film. Fuck, by the 1970s, like, we're, the fucking Scorsese started making movies at this point. <laughs> like, you know, it's... 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I thought maybe that was the reason. Like you I'm, could just do that. Think about it. It's like what we're we're enough. like we're like two three years away from Taxi Driver at this point. Oh. Like it's not. Yeah, which is but why I think Godard is clearly not interested in how engaged you are in his film. This God is no. my fucking film, and you will watch it. And I am making a political and personal statement with this. Fuck you if you don't like it. Yes. Essentially, and that, that's the thing he that gets you to like his movie. If that's the thing that gets me, because I feel like I can't just comment on the filmmaking. Yeah. Without being uh, offensive to the point or the feel or the whatever. And it's all, yes. Yeah, Regardless of what it's trying to do, there were m- more than 10 billion times in this film I got very fucking bored. Yeah, it, it's the problem. Of, uh, and again, like, you know, we have to say we're. we're I'm not, being Philistine. I've, I've, that's my. But like, uh, we, yeah, we, we, I'm sure when this came out, like, 1972, like, hot off the heels of the 1968 kind of revolution and things, like, this would have a lot more of an impact. We're watching this in 2021 in Melbourne, Australia, with not there's much of a knowledge so about that. There's so much I love about this film. There's yeah. so much I love about this film. I love the opening. I love the deconstruction of it all. I, it's nothing about that. It's just, it is it is tone deaf. I don't know what the better way to explain it is. It is, it is dull. And... But I think that also goes hand in hand with what God, like he, he has a character explicitly kind of almost say that where it's just like, I had a chance and an opportunity to make films for entertainment's sake. But to me, that's not what film is. Film is art. Yes. And that's what he will continue to make. He's not making entertainment with yes. this film. 100%. He, is, he has something to say about the political situation and what had happened and, what I what I kind of enjoyed most about it in the whole sausage factory stuff was that he gave equal time to all parties. Like we, the first talking head we get, like looking directly down the camera, is the manager yeah. explaining and you know He's essentially wonderful. giving his case for like what are you talking about? Like trickle down economics, it's fine. Like you know. Class warfare isn't a thing anymore. We had a little bit of a trouble in '68, but that's not a problem anymore. I'm gonna smoke. <laughs> yes, yeah. he's so flamboyant. I love him. He is, um, yeah, in a in our new recurring segment, uh, actors who look like other actors. Yes, that is uh, Italian Dan Hedaya. Yes, <laughs> I had to get you to remind me who he was, and I'm like, oh, that guy. Yes, he is. Uh, for those that are unaware, uh, the best one to go to is he is Cher's dad in Clueless. <laughs> But let's be honest, in this film, it is, it's all the eyebrows that make him look like Dan Hedaya. Mm. So. We only had one, really, of this um, episode. We had two, but we don't know, <laughs> I don't know if we're counting him. No, but he didn't even look like him. It was more his mannerisms. It was one of the um, factory workers storming into the office, kind of gave me a John Cleese, Monty Python with the handkerchief on his head, like, woo, 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 kind yeah. of vibe. But. So this is something we're going to do every episode now. When we watch old films, Chris, is has to <laughs> has to um go oh we've been we've been doing it for a while now but it's just like now flat out this is a segment now yeah. <laughs> old old actors that look like modern actors yeah yes i was just disappointed we only had a i was gonna say um oh the main chick her she looks, looks like, like <laughs> she looks like that chick from nine to five <laughs> <laughs> Well, that lady on that Grace and Frankie Netflix show, but a lot younger. You know that one that does workout videos? Yeah. Oh, my God. If she had a... Yeah. I'm sorry. I know we're jumping away, but we have to talk about Chris does not dig 70s Jane Fonda. Um, I, well, it's not that I don't dig her. I, I love her as an actor, actor in this time, like, which is, like, the big thing that I kind of... T- 
mentioned when we were watching the film, it's where this film falls in her career. This is 1972. This is the year she won her first Oscar. So, for... sh- Clute, which I is think... a great, great Alan Pakula film. She won a few in the 70s, eh? No, uh, the one in 1972 for Clute, and then I want to say 1980 for Coming Home. Okay. The, which is also the great Hal Ashby movie. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, this, so this is like her coming off of just winning Best Actress going to do this, which is weird, but... Do you know, can I just jump in? There's something I've got to say about actors who win Best Actor Oscars. They can... It's funny, like, they can relax now and they can go, oh, I've got my Oscar, now I don't have to worry. Yeah. I feel like there's... Especially, say, with Leonardo DiCaprio in recent years. He's I'm going to take off. four years off and not... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but then he someone... comes back and does Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and True. you're like, oh, True. okay. But for someone who's just won an Oscar, unless she was filming it before, like, it doesn't matter. Like, I think she's pretty heavy hitter in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, and stuff. yeah, very but, much. Um, and, I mean, God, she's a fonder, like, yeah. that legacy family and things. Yeah. So, um, But, again, I, I, I want to defend myself. Um <laughs> It's not that I don't... It, like, what I meant... Like, what Lee's meaning is I... It's not that I don't like her as an actress. I, I love Clute. I think she's a great actress in the 70s. I just don't find her physically attractive. Yes. <laughs> don't, going, don't... Don't... Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, we're going surface level on this Yeah, shit. yeah, 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 yeah. You, but you said uh, in the 80s. Oh, yeah. If we get to 9 to 5 time... Oh, man. Jane Fonda's a fox. Oh, my God. I'm just remembering her in 9 to 5. Didn't she have, like, a massive fro? I think so. But that's the thing. I wonder if it is because that's when I first became aware of Jane Fonda was in the 80s and early 90s. So, yeah. for me, that's, like, always... She's got that MILF energy, I guess. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Whenever I think of Jane Fonda, I don't think of someone our age. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. I always have that... All the Jane Fonda. I'm, like, I'm not saying necessarily, hey, if Jane Fonda wanted to, like, was offering to be the third with Claire and I, I guess we'd go for it nowadays. Wow. I don't know. I'd have to talk, to, I'd have to, talk to her about it. But, like, I- you wouldn't kick Jane Fonda out of <laughs> I have to say, though, in the middle of this film, I know we are jumping all over the place with this one. But that's yeah, we're we literally do. just talking about me and Claire having a threesome with Jane but, Fonda in her But in her, like, I now. have to go to, during the film... Chris and I paused to take two photos on our phone to send it to our respective partners. <laughs> and uh, the comment was, Criterion films are weird. And uh, it's, the- uh, it's, I, I'll just read the subtitle caption for the photo I sent Claire. And it's, a woman's hand holding a penis. <laughs> that moment. Yes, that pretty much sums it up. And what did Claire write back? Oh, um, oh, she was like, what are you watching? <laughs> and then? Oh, yes. Yeah, okay, I'll just, yeah. It was pretty amazing. That's the only reason I'm bringing it up. Where is it? Here we go. Uh, she was wondering about the title of the film, which we'll get into in a little bit her, with her about that. And um, I, I explained essentially that, you know, what that scene was about, uh, you know, in part, is that Jane Fonda explained to her husband that that's all he views their relationship as is sex. And, like, you know, this is, what do you think? This is the image of what you th- Think of with our relationship, a woman's hand holding a penis, to which Claire's response says, ah, oh, cougars have that high sex drive, don't they? Where I'm like, this is from this... She's your age in this one. It's not a cougie. Again, Cougars that, have that energy, don't they? I just love that. But it's also like that, again, it's Jane Fonda's been old forever for us, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> just She was 80 in the 70s, apparently. Yeah. Um, anyway. No. She, well, let's, like, on that note, let's talk about Jane Fonda and Yves Montand. Um... They don't have a lot to do in this film. 
it's so interesting because at the onset they're like uh, well, we're going to have him and we're going to have her. We're going to have two of the biggest actors of the 60s and 70s in here. like. And they're going to uh, change. They will change through an experience. And, yeah. But do they? That's what I find interesting. I, well, they, I don't really know them at the beginning to know that they've changed. But And not just that. they We don't experience them. It, it's Again, I think that whole opening narration thing is... it's. Setting up what this film in all right, like, you know, in any other circumstances would be. And then it's not doing that. It's, it's it's essentially, that's the pitch line to get the money from the producers to make the film that they eventually want to make. Yes. Um, these two characters are there yeah. throughout change. Not necessarily of them as characters, but as us as an audience watching it, as viewing the prism of the shifting social class dynamics of France, I guess. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad I watched this with you. Yeah. And I'm glad that you're my partner um, to talk about this film. Because <laughs> I can sit back and not think too much. It's, like, what, what do we say when we're watching it? Like, it is a film that is incredibly dense to unpack, yet simultaneously very surface level. Yes. There is symbolism galore here. And overt, overt symbolism, and then you feel stupid when you don't get the other symbolism. But then that's the problem of you I'm, spend so much time unpacking what they're presenting in the film, and you're like, "Is that it? Like, yeah. not not to, not to diminish what? Not they're is discussing. that it? But you're like, is that it? Like, is that what you're trying to tell me? Yeah, no, that's what I mean. Not yeah. not the, like, oh, that's not a big no, deal no, to no, be discussing, it. but like, yeah. Oh, especially in it's such hard work. It, it's great. It works well in the Sausage Factory when it is just almost that breaking down. We we've gotten rid of the fourth wall completely, and we're actually like you know you're objectively now as an audience viewing the multiple sides of the issue at hand of class struggle, and we're putting it in a scenario of one factory, mm. for example, as opposed to a nation at large. And to help you guide you through this, we're plonking in. Two outsiders, as a like a journalist and a husband, to be like they are us essentially going into this fuck situation, being told the issues from all sides. They're the Marty McFly. It's a microcosm of what is happening, like you know the problems with France at large at the time. But then the film breaks away from that, and it's like, well, we said we were going to talk. Like, let's now examine how that situation has affected our two protagonists. Like, and I use that in air quotes, protagonists. I, I wonder, and I'm sure we don't have the answer to this. It's just a wondering, did this film have a script? Like, yes, it would have had a script, but at the beginning of the filming, was this film like plan shot A to shot well, they openly say in the film, we don't have a script at the beginning, but we need it. Well, we at least need a scenario to get our stars interested in participating. And if we don't have that, which is why, again, I think it's the whole duping and the bullshitting of like, that's what this film's going to be about, but it's not at all. Like, that's the thing. Jane Fonda and Yves Montan are not in this film much at all. Yeah. Especially towards the, like, which is we like... You know, they each have their monologue scene where they explain how, who they are, what has happened to them with the Sausage Factory incidents and the incidents of 1968, how that affected them as per- people and how they've moved forward. 
Oh, but anyway, moving on. Oh, do you know what? <clears throat> it's just really hard. <laughs> I'm, 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 it, it, it hurts my brain. Yeah. And I, and I, I acknowledge that there will be people out there and there will be people listening to this and, and they'll be very upset that we are doing the analysis that we are on their film. Chris, I think you're doing a bang up job. I'm trying. I'm, I'm, you I'm, are more than trying. There are straws and I'm grasping at yeah, them. <laughs> um, I'm just, I'm just like, oh, okay. But, I think I'm getting more from the film now listening to you but than it, I did from the film. Again, it's that thing of it is incredibly dense while being simultaneously very overt. But, yeah. Oh. Like the supermarket at the end where the, the film essentially it doesn't end with, but like at the back of the film, there's about a 10 to 15 minute long sequence in a supermarket. That's all one, one shot. Like that's again, like the thing there's craft in this film. There is. And, and, and I'm not actually taking away from that at all. I'm not taking away from that at all. There is things in this film that blew my socks off, but it's just boring as fuck to watch. <laughs> I've yeah. got to admit that, that scene that you're talking about, um, the, what we call it, the, supermarket yeah. scene, whatever you want to call it. That was probably my favourite scene. Hmm. It's it's so well constructed, but it, and again, that thing of like for the first five minutes, say you're like, what the fuck are we doing here? Oh my god! What? For the first five minutes, you're like, ugh. It's just Jane Fonda walking through a supermarket, and but then you, as the audience, you start to like. I was dissecting it like, oh, okay, this is her post the experience that she's been through. Like, you know, she could learn and grow and, you know, take that, you know, what happened at the sausage factory and go from that. But instead, she's now back just, it's it's highlighting the mundane, the mundane and she's yes. back to just like, well, life moves on. What's the best example of that? A fucking supermarket. No one gives a shit. Everyone's just doing their own thing. If that scene ended there, she walks through the supermarket. So for people who aren't watching the film, uh, she walks through the supermarket and the, the, the shot trains along um, the, what would you say, the checkouts and people are just loading their groceries and it's literally Jane Fonda walking. The people. occasional narration about what she's writing for her story. But... She walks past as well a guy selling a communist manifesto. Yes. And he is yeah selling his manifesto and but but you view that initially as like you hear him kind of rumbling and then the camera pans past him and then we keep going and his dialogue fades out again and you're like oh that's the statement here it's like things like that they come and they go and we forget about them cool but then we hit the youths, end of the supermarket <laughs> some youths run in some youths run in and cause some ruckus and we go back yeah the camera, we do the ins- the insane dolly shot all the way back. And as the dolly shot's going back, the people are loading groceries they've already loaded. Mm-hmm. And we know this because there's a giant tub of Omo yeah, <laughs> powder. Yeah, like, that really surgeon. stuck out in my mind, this yeah. huge thing. And when we're dollying back, he's, he's reloading that onto the conveyor belt, whatever you want to call it. And then <clears throat> we get back to the communist guy selling his communist books and a woman opens a book and... Is it a woman or... No, it's, it's a young man, who's young man. Off, who questions it and then the guy doesn't well, have Well, hang an on, yeah. If this is the case, then what about this or what about that? And he's like, I've got no time for you. I, I'm... You're being you, a hooligan. You're being a hooligan. If you want to know, you should read the whole book. It's for... 
friends. It's on sale. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's on sale. Um, come to my office. Come to my office. We can discuss this. It'll be fine. Go away. Um, and then the whole uh, we, And then we keep, we keep panning back further all the we way do, to the other end. We have a pan back and then we pan back to the guy again. And when we pan back to the guy again... Oh, no, no. It's when we get to the far end that the it, the, it starts to happen where the youths ah. have essentially started a revolution where... They're like, well, based on this communist manifesto, everything's free. Everything's free. And everyone in the supermarket um, starts uh, loading up their trolleys and then trying to get out of the supermarket to get all their groceries for free. And then they're shouting uh, thieves, murderers and something else. And the police are suddenly there and they're platooning people in faces and all that. And it's all chaos um, rains out and I, I loved that scene yeah. I loved how boring it was and it was boring for five minutes of that scene or however long super boring and then yeah the chaos that ensures and the the beautiful one shot of it all yeah oh my god and it's also like and then when you get to the end of it all you realize like oh the boringness of that opening is kind of part of it it's like when society is kind of in a lull and nothing is happening that's when you get a flame that that kind of ignites a revolution and a change starts to happen but then and even the act like the action of the camera moving back and forth back and forth we do the dolly i think back and forth like two times and it's like very clearly saying like this shit is cyclical. This is what happens over and over. We're going to go back. This is, and nothing's going to happen. Then a revolution happens. Then we go back. This is what happens. It's back and forth. It's happened before. It's going to happen again. This is our movie. And this is our thesis statement. It's yes, interesting thesis, as fuck. Thesis statement. And I feel like every scene in this film is trying to be a thesis statement. Some more effective than others. Yeah. That's that sequence, that one shot for me, said more than the man holding the piece of paper explaining shit to us. That scene was amazing. Yeah, it, it, yeah. The the factory stuff, it's, it's presenting it in that very clinical microcosm example of, like, here's the facts of why this shit happens, and we're just going to present you the, the nuts and bolts of it. And it's kind of boring. Um, Not kind of. Yeah. It is. And then we, and then when it gets into like we've established what we're discussing with this film, let's examine that in an artistic form in the back half, and it's great. I I think I I understand that Goddard French New Wave is trying to break away from the constructs of film and all that sort of thing, but it is it is a film is a media. That is artistic and and beautiful and yeah. all these sorts of things. There's no that shot of the the supermarket is so blah and boring and there's no cool color scheme going on. There's nothing interesting about it and yet that one scene is so amazing and interesting. Yeah. And and I feel like you know the progression of it. Yeah. The yeah. the scattering of this shit uh, before that moment. It's just dull. Why do you yeah. want to be dull? Well, because it's laying the groundwork about, I guess it is that thing of the same way that that supermarket shot starts dull. Like, it, it's that thing of, like, it, these things start as something mundane and that you don't want to pay attention to, but at the at the heart of it, it is something we should all be paying attention to, I guess. Yes. Okay. Well, that's interesting. But something on a completely different note that you brought up, mm-hmm. and... 
I said to you when we were watching um, the Sausage Factory uh, section, why the hell, like you're doing a coup, take your bloody... Um, oh, the smocks or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> aprons. aprons. They've got... So it's a sausage factory, so you can imagine what's on the aprons. It's blood and guts and all sorts of things. I'm like, if I'm doing a coup, I'm not wearing my bloody apron. I'm going to be there. They make comment of it being five days later in the film, like, take that shit off. And then you said to me, no, that's for a reason. Uh, Goddard tried to, because again, this is about, um, you know, civil unrest and class warfare within France society. So within every, he tried to at every shot of the film include the colors red, white, and blue. Yes. The, the, the colors of the French flag there, they like towards the end of the film, it kind of drips away a bit, but in, especially in the first hour, it's interesting. every shot has red, white, and blue in it. It's only... Would you say only within the Sausage Factory we have that? Like, there's no. a man painting a wall? No. It, 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 like, I noticed it to start, like, even in some stuff later towards the end, but not every shot. Like, to me, where it started to drip away was when we have um, Yves Montagne giving his monologue about how he used to be a director and, like, his ideals got killed and yes. blah, blah, blah. Um, but that wasn't in the Sausage Factory. No, no. I'm so saying- it starts to drip away, but there are some instances later on where... It comes back it in. It comes back in a bit. Um, yeah, because there's scenes where the um, workers are just having a chat, talking about the struggles, the reason, whatever. And there's a man painting a wall blue. And I said to Chris, this is a middle of fucking coos painting a wall. And it's like, oh, nah, because he's painting the wall blue. His apron's white and it has red blood on it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's genius. Yeah. I love that. Glad that you pointed it out to me because that was really <laughs> putting me off. Who's painting walls in the middle of a coup? Uh, I also just want to know who who has those paint because he ends up like painting over photos that are framed. I'm like, who has those framed paintings? Yes. If I was a PA on this one, I'd be like, yoink. Yoink. <laughs> I want this. This is my retirement yeah. fund. But the idea of that like being an established thing of like the, especially when in the sausage factory where it's like exemplifying why people go against the grain, why there is an uprising, why there is a coup, why is there a strike, why, like for the betterment of, you know, th- this group of people, like, you know, the lower class and things going forward. And that's what's interesting about like how, especially in the sausage factory, where we're being shown, this is the example of this. So we are constantly going to bombard you with the patriotism of the colours of the French flag. Yes. Once we're done with kind of painting that picture for you, we're going to slowly drip away and let's just examine the ideals, I guess. Yeah. No, I, I love that, and um, I, I certainly didn't pick it up on my own. I had to have Chris explain it to me, but that's the that's the symbol. Oh, and I would have only picked it up, like, maybe I might have, but, like, it's because I did my trivia research. <laughs> but that's the kind of symbolism that is dense and overt. Yeah. Which we, is what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, something I want to mention is um, our fellow Criterion Questers, also mm-hmm. known as the Criterion Queen. Creeps. The creeps. The creeps. Um, <laughs> now that we've podcast with them, I can't like not see this, but I'm like, I know that they pick out um, stills from the film to oh, use as yeah. memes. Uh, RJ like, on their on their Instagram on their, on their Instagram. Instagram. Yes, I'm like I I saw <laughs> at the beginning of the film. I love your. <laughs> I love your knees. I love your face. I love your balls. I'm like just that. I love your balls. Ten bucks is a cry. Criterion Creeps meme. See, I got my money on uh, RJ instead using the one where it's like, this feels like it's going on forever. 
<laughs> which is a very meta line in the film. <laughs> I, I think you and I almost stood up and started applauding. I flat I did. I started applauding because it was in that point oh. where you're like, what the fuck are we doing with this film? Yes. That's, that's the problem like with Goddard in general, I think, and this film being a great example of that is it's it. there's a lot to unpack and discuss and there's some great, amazing shit in there. But when you're when your balls deep in it, it's not an enjoyable thing to be watching. But for me, it's super messy. Like I know that modern yeah. film modern film has been influenced by this movement, the French New Wave, and I know this is outside, but it's still kind of a French New Wave film. Um, but it was what was I asking you? Is it style over substance or substance over style? Whatever think, it is, there's too much of it. I think it's both. Like, yeah. It's, it's very much like him trying to break down the tenets of like you know what what can a film be? I'm fuck fuck I'm I'm fucking this all up. We're destroying this all while at the same time being so overt with what the political subject matter that we're discussing. Like it's it's somehow both style over substance and substance over style at the same time. At the same time, which is probably why it's broken our brains. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I really enjoyed this film. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Overall, I really enjoyed it. There were more than a... 70% of this film was really hard for me. Yeah. And then there was so much in this film I loved. I loved the set piece. I loved um, when we were introduced to him and her and they turned to the camera. I didn't love a lot of the talking to camera explaining shit. Yeah. I got it. It's not that I'm a dum-dum. I think that I was a dum-dum for a lot of this film. But I, I, I got it. I just didn't enjoy it. And I know that that's what he's trying to say. Yeah. Doesn't change my view. No. And it, it, it's like, you know, it, it's definitely one of those films where when you're sitting down watching it, 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 it's a it's a slog and it's a tough thing to get through. Yet when you're out on the other side and you actually sit down and you think about it and more importantly, you discuss what yes. what you've seen, you start to appreciate it more. And you're just like, yeah. it wasn't, it, it's not bad, no. but, it's, but it's also not at the same time. Like I said at the beginning, he, he actively does not make entertaining films. films. He, he's, he's making it, a, it's a piece of art and it's a political statement. And We, we um, <laughs> at one point we said, um, it's it's so not entertaining that it's almost like if you were at school and you had to watch <laughs> you had to watch a film about at this time this coup this whatever. We're going to show you a 1972 like made for TV documentary about this because teachers got a hangover. Yeah, <laughs> and then I said, <laughs> Mr. McClure, what does DNA stand for? Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's, that's what it feels like at, at certain in particular those talking heads moments it feels like you're watching a Troy McClure film <laughs> a film strip yeah it's, it's it's rough it's 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 jamming down your throat the topic yeah and I think as well like it, it's it my major problem with the film like again there's a lot of greatness in this film a lot of good stuff but to me the fact that it from its outset, dupes the audience in the same way that it's duping its producers to try like theoretically the opening of the film was like we have no story we just want to make a political film how do we get people to watch this let's cast these people it, it's it's it's, it's a, a facade du- yeah, and it's yeah, duping yeah. you as an audience and that's to me kind of rubs me the wrong way and i wouldn't have had an issue with that if 
the characters of him and her actually had a growth or something happened to them. So that's the thing. This is what I I was questioning you while we were watching this. So they set up that there's going to be a change with the characters. But, and I know we talked about this before, I feel like we didn't know the characters well enough to know if they changed. Yeah, we, we don't get anything about them in the whole first half and then we get them each delivering a monologue about who they are, where they find themselves and yada yada. And then... We have them having a fight over their relationship, which is a great scene. With, that is with, a great scene. With the penis photo. Oh, wonderful. And then the film ends, and it's great. You have the directors just being like, oh, fuck, we promised people this, uh, and we didn't deliver. Well, let's just do the art film thing of have them sitting at a table with a glass of wine in silence, mm. and you can assume whatever. Like, they overtly say, do that, and you're like, okay. Which, again, like, I mean, you can... I'm sure there's people who, like, analyse this deeply and they're just like well no that's a statement on the political uprising of like we'll leave it sitting with you and we don't know where it's gonna go and that's what i can't stand i feel like i can't make a single exactly can't make a single comment on this film without someone's gonna reply and be like no because you didn't get it because that's a symbolism of Whatever. No, like, I think we're going to be okay. I hope, I, I'm pretty sure most I'm of our actually, listeners are not dicks like that. <laughs> no, no, no. Dick away, actually. I would actually love if we got some hate mail over this. No, like, no. We you are, you t- are What are you talking stars. about? I talk about wanting to have a three-way with 80-year-old Jane Fonda. <laughs> There's not going to be hate mail. We're, yeah, we can't come back in. from that. Yeah, no. We were, we were off the rails from the get-go. So. But, I mean, yeah, summing it up, like, it, it's... By no means my favorite Godard. Like it's it's again one of it, it's a tough film to watch. There's some really interesting shit in there, but it's really yeah. interesting shit. Like really, really, really good shit in there. But don't go into this film expecting to be entertained. Yeah. Treat it like a 1970s documentary that your teacher put on because they're hungover. <laughs> That's the best way to describe it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I I mean, do any final thoughts? I do have a final thought. Something I want to start with this criteria. Well, well, this is what I was going to get into. Was um, I want to start some things where, um, so for example, if you had to create a tagline for this film, what would your tagline be? Um, Well, I I definitely have mine. And I I just also want to say that, um, you know, Lee's been now jumping in as the co-host for quite a few weeks now. And so it's, it's... I'm all for these wonderful new segments, uh, making the podcast her own, and um, I fear no change. This is lovely. <laughs> so yes, uh, create a tagline is going to be the new one of the new segments, and uh, I got mine. Do you have your? Who, who goes first? Sure, have mine. You go first. All right, mine is uh, tout va bien. Civil war. What's it good for? <laughs> okay, okay. Mine's not as clever as yours. <laughs> But mine's in France. No one can understand your narrative. <laughs> <laughs> You're cutting on the alien fruit. Like, it's so confused. I like it. I, like I reckon it. we, our listeners should vote on who had the better tagline. Yeah. So what was yours again? Uh, Civil War, what's it good for? <laughs> in France, no one can understand your narrative. Yeah. Please tell us which one won. <laughs> yes, please, please let us know. And this is now going to be um, similar to the uh, which actor looks like who. <laughs> yes. This is going to be a now recurring segment, and I, I love it. Uh, another recurring segment that uh, Lee has come up with that I endorse wholeheartedly is uh, Claire Guesses the Plot. Do you want to explain what this one's going to be? Okay, so... Um... Chris and I are going to analyse the film. 
analyze the film. And, uh, <laughs> and then at the end, we're going to give Claire, I don't know, we'll give her the, the maybe the front cover of the DVD or an yeah. image from the film. Uh, we might tell her what language it's in, but very minimal clues. And she's going to tell us what, just from that, what she thinks the film's about. Yeah. And Claire, like, uh, those people that have listened, uh, you know, after gone eight years of this podcast, we finally got her to guest on an episode doing shortcuts with us. Um, and she's jumped on a bunch of the Patreon uh, commentary episodes. And uh, the people that listen to those will know that she is just a lovely, wonderful person who does not give a <laughs> fuck about film. No fucks. So it, it's wonderful that she's married to me. Yes, it is. It is beautiful. <laughs> so it's going to be this wonderful little thing of someone who has no idea about film. What's this about? Yes. So uh, we're going to jump to that right now. All right, so this is the first of... What are we going to call this little segment? Um, What's this movie about? This is Claire's What's This Movie About? Here we go, our first one. We're kicking things off. We're going to give you the title of the film. Mm Mm-hmm. The director of the film. Okay. The year. Oh. And the country of origin. Can we write these things down? Uh, no, no, here we go. Okay, so. <laughs> and I will say, uh, you did get given one additional piece of information for this film, which I will bring up in a minute. Okay. So, the film is called Tout Va Bien. It is from 1972. Yeah. It is a French film. Okay. Directed by Jean-Luc Godard. Oh, no. <laughs> Nothing? Okay. Do you want me to give you the English translation of tout va bien? No. No? Not okay. for this one, because I know the word bien, bien. Means? Good. Okay. So what is tout va bien all about? Um, that is good. Yeah? Yeah. No, that's what it's translating as in my mind. Okay. And that what's, is good. And what's the film about? Um, hold on. I think I've seen a picture. You have. You've spoiled me. I, I, well, you've got slightly spoiled. You have one piece of additional information as we tease. Uh, you're aware that at some point in this film, Jane Fonda holds up a picture of a penis. Oh, I thought it was an actual penis. You just made, gave me more information. Okay. So, Jane Fonda is in France. And so it's 1972. So she's... Um, she used to be part of like a hippie commune, but now she's moved back to Paris and she's in Paris and she's searching for good penis. Okay. So that's what she's doing. So, so that's she, what it, it's tout via bien. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very good. Mm. Yeah. So she goes around and she investigates by finding lots of different men and she uses her Polaroid camera to take pictures of people's penises and then she gets people to rate them on the side. Kind of like hot or not, you know, back in the 2000s. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, that's weirdly kind of a similar plot to the I Am Curious films, uh, but not too, not too bad. <laughs> yeah, okay, oh, so that's... But what happens next, though? Um, so she takes um, the pictures and then she's just like in love with one of these pictures. She's like, Oh, it's so dreamy. Is this where Yves Montand comes into the picture? Well, this is where she meets this man that she took the picture of, but she re meets him in like a meet cute situation in a, um, French cafe. 
and he was buying a baguette, you know, like so innuendo, like big baguette. Oh, I get and, you, I get you. And then they spend the day together. They walk up and down the Seine, I think. Mm-hmm. That's one in Paris. Yeah. They walk up and down, and then they go up to, like, a quintessential French apartment because it's good, and then they just, like, fall in love. Then there's a complication. What's the complication going to be? Uh, <laughs> You're going deep in this. I'm <laughs> going very deep. This is then like a, a new age Nancy Myers because film. Because he finds the the box of the box of penis pics. Oh, okay, pics. yeah, yeah. And he's just like all upset. All of these men, because the 70s still. So all of these men, how dare you? Even in this age of free love, you were a hippie, but it's not okay. And then he realizes that he loves her enough anyway. And then they live happily ever after. The end. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) That was awesome. Was I right? Fuck no. (laughs) Okay. That was... I'm just laughing already. Like, you know, it's... Yeah. It's yeah. going to be whatever. Yeah, <laughs> wonderful. We have no idea what she said because I recorded that at a later date, but good Lord. Yeah, other than that, I guess uh, those are our new segments. Uh, thank you. And that was our Tout Va Bien. Yes, so, yes it was. Uh, we'll dive into the actual Criterion edition itself. So the film is still in print from Criterion as a one-disc DVD. It's also available on the Criterion channel. Uh, and it comes with the special features Letter to Jane from 1972, Jean-Luc Godard and Jean-Pierre Gorin's postscript to Tout Va Bien. So I looked into what this was. This is a 52-minute short film narrated by Godard and Gorin narrating and discussing while there's a photo of Jane Fonda in Vietnam. That's why we didn't watch it. <laughs> that reaction alone. Uh, a 1972 video interview excerpt with Jean-Luc Godard, new video interview with Jean-Pierre Gorin, as well as a 40-page booklet uh, with essays by Jay Hoberman and Kent Jones, as well as um, a Godard biographer Colin McCabe, and an excerpt from an interview with Gorin and Godard. So it's a decent enough edition. So, but... I, I have no interest. We, not, we, we, yeah. we do love the Criterion special features. Oh, yeah. They're pretty fucking rad. Yeah. But, well, that's why I always like to highlight them at the end yeah. there. So. But, um, Tell us the trivia, Chris. Oh, you want to know the trivia? I want to know the trivia. Okay. Uh, oh, there is a little bit here, actually. Um, uh, this The film won the Interfilm Award uh, for the Forum of New Cinema at the 1973 Berlin International Film Festival. Uh, but other than that, uh, this film is part of the Criterion Collection. <laughs> that's loving, that's the trivia. Thank you, IMDb Trivia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but unless you've got anything else, that'll probably wrap us up for Godard and Goran's Tout Va Bien. Yes, um, we do have a new Instagram if you'd like to follow us. We have, um, if you want to just see everything that we do we have linktree slash criterion quest and if you go there you'll find all of our socials yeah but uh follow us on instagram i'll link to everything in the episode description but uh yeah we're now on instagram uh lee is doing an amazing job over there <laughs> uh so just uh yeah criter- look up the criterion quest you'll find us other than that you can follow me on twitter at criterion quest um send us an email at the criterion quest at gmail.com 
Uh, the only other one, I guess, would be our Patreon. Let's plug the shit out of that. Let's plug the shit out of that, because, because that's freaking amazing. And there's some new things coming uh, coming out that way, actually, to entice uh, people to jump on the bandwagon. Yes. Um, so, normally what that uh, show has been, you know, there's the donating for the $5 a month, you get... Uh, audio commentaries by Lee and I and a special guest working our way through interesting topics of film. We've done our favorite strain movies, horror films, animated films. So, But there's going to be a new uh, bi-weekly podcast series uh, jumping over onto that. Uh, I am, uh, based on a drunken conversation that has happened about three times with our friend Toby, uh, we constantly debate who is the better filmmaker Ridley or Tony Scott? Ooh. So, Toby and I are going to start running, uh, as well as Lee and a couple of people other guesting on episodes, uh, we're going to start a little limited run mini-series over there on the Patreon as well. So for $5 a month, you get the commentary tracks, as well as this brand new show where we work our way through the filmographies of Ridley and Tony Scott, trying to figure out who is the better filmmaker. <laughs> Overall, like, let's not, let's not beat around the bush. Ridley has the best films. But pound for pound, like, he's got a lot of sh- He made G.I. Jane. That movie's shit. <laughs> <laughs> What's the name of the podcast? The, it is called Great Scott. Yeah! And uh, to entice you a little bit further, I'm going to actually throw in uh, the theme song that I created for that show. Hello there, I'm Ridley Scott, I'm the director. Hi, I'm Tony Scott, I'm the director. There are way too many films being made. Unkind critics in the past have said your films have got more style than content. I mean, is that something that you took to heart and thought, the hell with it, this one's going to have content? Nope. You're allowed to laugh, okay? So who doesn't want to listen to that? Uh, so jump over <laughs> to patreon.com slash the Criterion Quest. Uh, as we always say, it helps us pay for this uh, the server costs and get us uh, get new equipment and help us keep the lights on. So any support we would greatly appreciate. We do appreciate it very much, Lee. Thank you. Uh, but otherwise, we will be back in a fortnight's time with Lee's... I love this now. It's like Lee's first this film. Lee's first Renoir. Ooh. Like uh, the painter? Uh, he is his grandson. <laughs> What the fuck? Yes. Uh, Jean Renoir, the filmmaker, is the grandson of Renoir, the painter. Fuck. And uh, it is a 1951 film called The River. Some people are just born into artists. Yeah. It's insane. Some people's families. Uh, (laughs) But again, thank you for listening to this week's episode. Uh, We'll see you next time. Uh, For this episode, I'm Chris. I'm Lee. Catch you later. I know.